we exist as dichotomies. It's just is the way it is. And too often we're living in that hard edge, right? We're like, oh, I need to be mean to myself. That's the only way I'm gonna stay motivated. BS, that is such BS, it does not work. And yet here we are and we, can't, we continue to hook into it because it's all we've ever known. And learning to trust in this other way and practice it can be like so scary, you don't even wanna go there. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. Today, we are getting real about loving our bodies, cultivating a positive mindset, and becoming stronger with my incredible friend and fellow wellness rock star, Steph Gaudreau. In case you don't know Steph, you are going to fall in love with her mission today. Before we jump into this very real conversation about loving who we are and taking care of ourselves in an authentic way that truly serves us, I wanna take a moment and invite you to reach out to me and let me know what you are specifically loving so far in this podcast. As you listen in on this interview with Steph, we would love to hear about how this episode impacted you and your wellness journey. This is by far one of my favorite interviews to date because we uncover some important truths about being a woman today and what it takes to truly take care of our bodies. Since I started this podcast, I have received hundreds of emails and messages on social from incredible women who are adopting the advice and recommendations shared in these episodes. I am beyond moved and grateful to hear from you, and I love being a part of this journey with you. Now, you can do so... You can write to me by letting me know on drmarisa.com, episode 27, or simply if it's easier to review the podcast on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you love to plug into. That way, we can continue to share the podcast with even more women ready to become the CEO of their health. Now, let's dive into this incredible conversation with a woman that I've had the privilege to know for almost two years. Steph Gaudreau is authentic, real, and shines her light on tens of thousands of women with her blog, video, and amazing podcast, Harder to Kill Radio. You immediately feel like she is on your side and ready to go to bat for you. She has a fierce love for her tribe, and I am so blessed to bring her to you today. Now, specifically, Steph Gaudreau's mission is to help women build stronger bodies and minds and own their inner power. And you are going to feel that in today's episode. Now, she's a holistic nutrition practitioner, USA weightlifting strength coach, cold brew lover, terrible singer, which I have not personally heard, Lord of the Rings nerd who runs the website Stupid Easy Paleo. Now you can find her at Stupid Easy Paleo on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, and you are going to fall in love with her videos and definitely check her out on Instagram. She's one of my favorite people to follow. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, Steph. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Well, I am 
so excited to have you here and to talk about a topic that we haven't had before. So I'm really, really excited to jump into this. And we're going to be talking about specifically your core four framework for building strength. And one of my favorite things to talk about is really owning your inner power. Mm. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I love talking about this stuff and putting little nuggets out there for women especially to to think about and ponder and you know do the internal and external work and yeah so i'm just always happy to talk about it well i wanted to know because i know that you know we we've connected and we're both in san diego together and i know for you were a teacher for many years what moved you in this direction to really teach women about strength really help women to own that inner strength in them mm, that's such a good question and I mean, I think in a lot of ways, I have a very common story about many years of being very unhappy with my body, wanting to change my body and it just not cooperating and being very frustrated and being in a negative headspace about that, you know, not such a great relationship with food and exercise. I've always been very active. And so exercise for me actually became a way to try to control my weight and to over-exercise as a way to sort of provide another stress point in my life. And, you know, it wasn't like I was sitting around and very sedentary. So I have that sort of odd relationship with fitness and exercise and food was always sort of a, a punishment, you know, if I could just eat lower fat and withhold and, you know, cut back and it would get me to what I wanted to, to do, which is to be a lighter weight on the scale. And that's very, I feel like, again, a very common story. And over the years, I found a much easier way of doing things where finally, and, and this took years, it didn't just happen overnight, but when I finally learned how to really nourish my body with the foods that worked for me, when I learned how to incorporate movement in a way that was very nourishing for myself and, you know, working on mindset and all these other pieces, there became a a sense of ease in my life. And I don't want people to think that I don't ever struggle or have (laughs) negative thoughts or any of that, because I certainly do. And I think even if you look out into the world and you can, you think about the health and wellness coaches or people that you follow. I mean, nobody has it all figured out, but the sense of dis-ease in my life was replaced with a a much more of a sense of ease and flow. And so I, I sort of, that was my journey. And I simultaneously was not feeling very fulfilled with being a secondary classroom teacher. I taught um, high school science for 12 years and was sort of looking for an opportunity or thinking about like, what else can I do with my life? And, you know, I'd been sort of working on my own journey and figuring things out. And I had this website, uh, which was kind of just a blog at the time. And I thought maybe I could, you know, maybe I could do this. And people would message me friends and friends of friends. And they would ask me questions like, how did, you know, how did you do this? And how could I get started? And can you help me? And I think that was the first inkling in my mind that maybe I could do this. And having a background in science and biology and teaching, it was sort of a, a natural fit. I mean, I wasn't really you know, doing something that was totally a 180, but at the same time, owning my own business was something very unfamiliar to me. So that's kind of how it all came about. And actually, we're coming upon the five-year anniversary of me leaving the classroom and striking out on my own to do this kind of in a big way in terms of 
teaching this to a much bigger audience on my website and on my social media communities and stuff like that. So it was really rooted in my own story and my own journey and wanting really in my, in my heart of hearts for other women to see and really feel and understand that if they're struggling with these feelings of self-doubt and unhappiness and not feeling fulfilled and always wanting their, you know, to lose weight. And I mean, some women, this is a lifelong thing of hating their bodies. And I just thought I have to be able to, I have to share this with other women. I mean, there is another way and it involves a lot of things that the fitness industry, the diet industry don't want people to know. And, you know, because if you're not insecure and we're not preying upon your insecurities, then, I mean, you're not going to buy our products, right? (laughs) So it's just been kind of a a growing mission of mine. And I started with a food website. I mean, that was sort of my introduction into working for myself, but it's become this, this thing where I'm like, I can't not help guide women on their journey. Like, I just have to do this because I want them to see how amazing and strong and powerful they are. And I don't just mean in the gym, I, you know, everything about them and what they can achieve and what they can um, express about themselves and own about themselves. And so I think, you know, that's kind of a, in a roundabout way, how that journey got started. It would definitely wasn't like a, a linear thing, but it's been evolving now for quite a few years. Thank you so much for sharing. And I know that initially it did kind of start off with food. And and that, mm-hmm. was that because you had kind of figured that piece out or that a lot of people were looking for that from you specifically? Yeah, it was really, you know, I say food is kind of the gateway drug of wellness. Yeah. And it, for a lot of people, I mean, it is a lot of people start out with a weight loss goal or they start out with just wanting to learn how to cook or whatever it is. Food is very tangible. It's one of the most tangible things in terms of like this idea of these four pillars, this core four. And you look out into the world and lots of people have their philosophies and food is usually a part of it in some way. But understanding that, you know, for a lot of people, food is the thing that hooks them. It is social. It's cultural. It's something we have to do every day and we have to eat every day. And when you're talking about you know, if you're sitting down with a client and you're talking about, all right, so we're going to like, your life is going to change. It's going to be amazing. And like, by the way, we're going to work on all these like really high level, in some cases, deep seated mindset stuff, you know, your self-beliefs, your, how you see the world. I mean, that's very intangible. And then we're like, okay, let's talk about food and how to build a plate and eat more color. And that for a lot of people is, is much more approachable. So that's kind of how it started for me. And growing up over the years, I don't, I wouldn't say I ever felt like a sick person, but I never really felt well. And I just thought, well, that's just kind of my lot in life. And I know a lot of people go through that where they just at some point resign themselves to feeling crappy every day. Mm. And, you know, even stretching back to being a kid and having all sorts of like stomach pains and digestive problems and, you know, kind of alternating I like IBS and all this stuff later on, much later on in my early thirties, I found out I have endometriosis, which is something I didn't know about either for a very long time. The diet actually helped quite a bit in helping me feel better there. 
hypoglycemia. I had many, many hypoglycemic incidents over the years. I wasn't sleeping well, you name it. But again, it was it was all kind of like, well, I guess that's just how I am. And food for me was really the very first thing. And I mean, I would say over the years, I mean, I've t- tried everything. I was a vegetarian for a year and a half. Ironically, that for me is when I felt the worst. And it just didn't work for my body for a variety of reasons. I mean, I've done all sorts of diets, low-fat diets. It's just everything. I've tried everything. And it just seemed like nothing ever helped me feel better. And then I sort of came upon this real whole food way of eating. I, for a time, took out foods that could be potentially inflammatory for my body. And within about three months, I felt like, I had never felt in my life. I mean, I had energy throughout the day. My digestive system calmed down. I wasn't getting hypoglycemic incidents anymore. I mean, there was one one time where I actually passed out in my classroom as the kids walked out the door to go to lunch because, you know, typical hy- hypoglycemic response. I just lost consciousness and passed out, you know, and so all that stuff went away. And for me, that was a huge wake up call that even though over the years I tried to eat quote unquote healthy, there were still things that I was eating that weren't working for my body. And after doing that elimination phase, slowly things have, you know, I've introduced other foods back in and I'm not as strict as I was back then, but it really was the thing that helped to kick off feeling better. And really that's what people want. They're like, can I just feel better? And when you don't have that, you know, you're like, I'm putting in all this effort and I'm not feeling the results. I'm not feeling better. I still feel run down and tired and foggy headed. And, you know, my emotions and my moods are all over the place. Like it's hard to get buy-in. And so I think for a lot of people, food is a, is a great first step, certainly for others, you know, it comes with a a lot of triggers and stuff like that. So I, I think that's where providing alternatives for people to jump in with habit change and behavioral change and stuff like that is important because, for a lot of people with history of disordered eating, you know, a lot of emotions tied to eating and stuff like that, it, like addressing their food first can be really a roadblock. And so that's why I think having that multifactorial way of approaching things is so important. But yeah, that's kind of how it started for me. And it started as a, my website started as a, basically a virtual recipe box for me to store my own recipes and share them with friends and family. And then it branched out from there. Somebody said, you should just, you know, start a food blog. And so that's what I did. I love it. So <laughs> I think about the, we're going to get into the core four in just a second. And I have a foundational five, but, but yeah. food is the foundational piece to all of it. And some of the biggest transformations really happened there. And it sounded mm-hmm. to me like that was kind of like that stepping point for you. And, you know, so many of us, I feel you, you do share that common story. I remember many years, you not knowing what feeling good felt like. I had mm. no idea what that meant because I never really had felt that great till I was eating well. And then everything shifted for me. And then, you know, you fall, at least for me, I fell back out of the habits. I wasn't really putting two and two together at the time and maybe got too busy, started not eating as well, and then fell, fell right back into that. Man, I really feel like crap. <laughs> mm, yeah. It's a pretty big wake up call when you. I mean, even now, if I get sick, which is kind of rare and random, I'm like, I take for granted how good I feel on a pretty much a day to day basis. And like, wow, it's a pretty big 
reminder to not take that for granted. Absolutely. I 100% agree with you. I, I was sick all the time growing up. So the same kind of situation. And you're right. So many people can relate to the food piece. Plus, I just want to say, I know people are listening right now that Steph's food images <laughs> are so gorgeous. Oh, thank Girl, you. I just want to eat everything that you're making all the time. <laughs> It's one of the things I just really enjoy, probably more than developing recipes is just, you know, in a way for me, even when I'm eating by myself and I don't plan on photographing anything, taking the time and slowing down to plate it nicely. And I'm not saying you have to plate like a professional chef, but like being mindful and using that as a point of gratitude, slowing down, being mindful. I think that piece is so missing in our culture. And just in terms of the connection to digestion and activating the parasympathetic nervous system. And I mean, all that stuff is just so underrated. So for me, slowing down and, you know, obviously, if I'm taking pictures for the blog, that's a different story. I just really found that photography and was a great creative outlet. But even in my day to day life, I usually take the time to plate things nicely, because I feel like that is my way of honoring that food. And slowing down and connecting to it a little bit more that, again, sometimes we're just totally missing that in our, our modern day. Yeah. And I think even more so we're, we're missing out on cooking and just in general. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So much. Cooking, the community of prepping and being in the kitchen with your family, the sitting down and, you know, even I will, I confess Mm. that sometimes I eat standing, which I'm so embarrassed to share. We have this really big island. And so sometimes my husband and I are just standing at the island. I have mm-hmm. stools at the islands <laughs> and yet I'm standing. Mm-hmm. So the cooking, the prepping, the connecting, like you said, all of those pieces, that mindfulness, the, I wouldn't even call it so much the art of it, but like the, the process of it all. I think we were really missing and lacking that. A hundred percent agree. Michael Pollan's docuseries, cooked when he talks about this. Um, This is a Netflix documentary for folks if they haven't seen it, but the way he talks about it and it just really hit home for me that because we outsource so much stuff in our world, it's allowed us to be busier. Industrialization has allowed us to step away from things that were once so I mean, for lack of a, just essential, right? It was essential that we cooked for ourselves and now we don't have to do that. We can outsource it. We can order it. We're so hands-off in the process, but I would question whether or not that's actually helped us and has the stepping away and the outsourcing enabled us to actually become healthier. And in some ways, I mean, if if for somebody they're going to order a sun basket or a blue apron or whatever it is and have it delivered. And it means that they're actually going to be able to find the time to have something healthy to cook. There are shades of gray for sure. But I would sort of question whether we have become better off for some of that stuff and whether being busier and allowing ourselves to outsource all of the the food collection and gathering and cooking and prepping and whether that's made us better off or not. And I just, part of me, I mean, I've recommitted in the last few years to really doing things like fermenting and making my own ghee. And I mean, just things that you're like, you could go buy that. It's at the store, you know, like, why wouldn't you just buy the item of convenience? And again, I get everybody needs to, we need to meet people where they're at. But for me, taking the time to deliberately slow down has been so important in that process. I know just a lot of people don't know how to cook and it can seem very intimidating, but there are lots of ways that you can learn. And I would just 
try to encourage people to commit to like cooking one thing a day or one meal or just like get a start somehow. But it's just so essential. Such a such an important life skill. Well, and you do live that. I mean, we were just together and you gave me a jar of your own honey. Girl, you had bees. Like you made your own yeah. honey. So that is amazing. I love that. Yeah, we had bees for a few years. It became very difficult here just We're in such a tight urban environment, but we have a little four foot by six foot raised garden bed. You know, when we didn't have that, we were growing herbs and plants in pots on our stairs. I mean, just, just something to where you can connect to that food on a very personal level and a very close level. I think it's just so meaningful. I absolutely agree. Well, I want to dive into, I'm going to pivot just a tiny bit and dive into Mm -hmm. the core four. And I have a feeling we are connecting into one of that core four, but tell us a little bit about the core four and how it came about. I feel like we've kind of laid a little bit of the groundwork, but clearly Mm -hmm. in that exploration, you found the formula that really you felt was going to serve women. I'm assuming you're mostly serving women too, or okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what has really served you? I want to just make a mention of that. Like, when I speak in public and I try to connect with people, I'm more connecting to people through my own experience and lens. And so I am a woman, like that's my experience. And I do tend to speak to women because I understand more viscerally the experience that women have experienced in our, you know, our country, this current health and wellness state, like everything that we're going through. And so I'm not excluding men at on any level. And I actually do have a lot of men who follow They're definitely not the majority, but they sometimes will follow along with their spouse or whoever it is. So I may address women specifically, but I think a lot of these things carry over from men too. I just can't speak for what it's like to be a man, which is why I don't bring it from that perspective. So I just wanted to preface that. But In 2015, I was really looking for a way to provide some kind of coaching program for my community that would take the whole person into consideration and introduce this idea that though food or exercise for people, those tend to be the two common gateways, right? Food and exercise, I, you know, I had been running into a lot of clients that were telling me I am focusing real hard on my food. And I'm just still not seeing results. Or I've been exercising for six months or a year, and I still haven't seen any progress. And that really stood out to me that sometimes we tend to get, and I say we collectively, because I've certainly done this uh, in the past, is we get very laser focused on improving one thing. And we get so far down the rabbit hole. For example, you know, I'll have clients tell me I've been eating real food, paleo, gluten free, whatever, for two or three or four years and I'm still, nothing has changed with my body composition or I'm you know, not really feeling any better. And so I'm trying to tweak my carbs now. And like, then I hired somebody to like do my macros. And then like, I think I'm eating too many calories. So I'm going to cut the calories and they get very focused on the food and like the nitty gritty of that. And while that could be important, sometimes I'll say like, well, what's your sleep like? And they're like, well, I get, you know, five or six hours. <laughs> Okay, (laughs) there's an area that instead of going down the rabbit hole and putting all of the food stuff under the microscope and causing yourself more stress there, let's look at areas where you could potentially experience a bigger win that you're not currently addressing. So for example, stress management, sleep, workflow and energy throughout your day, like how you approach your work day and mindset. And so as I was thinking about these things, I was like, well, the last thing we need is really like a diet program. (laughs) Like the world doesn't need more diet programs. 
But I really wanted to develop a program where I could help people practice these skills in these four different areas and then go out into the real world, into their life and apply those in whatever way makes sense for them, depending on which of the four areas they need the most support. Because again, might you experience a small win if you, I don't know, you're able to like find the exact right number for your carbohydrate intake grams per day. You might, but you might get a much better, sort of a much bigger change if you start including some kind of mindfulness meditation or a breathing practice or 15 minutes of me time every day when you're currently not doing that. Yeah, I agree. The idea of counting all of that, I think it would drive me crazy a little bit. It does. And I, you know, awareness is certainly important. And I'm not saying that being oblivious to what you're eating is going to get you results either, or it's wrong to count and, and track and quantify, but I will caveat a big, but at some point I truly believe, and this is like intuition and everything else and training and all of the education that I've been through. I truly believe that we have to get people to a place where they can start listening to themselves and start listening to their bodies. That's not always easy to do from the start because we've been so disillusioned. We've been trained to not listen to our bodies, right? We've outsourced that again to everybody else Mm -hmm. and we've lost touch with that oftentimes. So, so for some of my clients, first thing that they do is, you know, they do keep a food log for a few Mm -hmm. days. They may track for a few days and see, oh, I thought I was doing okay with protein intake, but I'm actually 50% of where I probably want to be. And again, for a lot of my clients, because they've been in the real food community for a while, they are actually not overeating. They're in a lot of cases under eating, undernourishing. They're focusing too much on the macronutrients and not enough on the micronutrients and the nutri- you know, the quality of the food. And that all plays into it. And so for me, this idea of, of nourishing your body, and so that's the first of the core four, the four pillars, is to eat nourishing foods. And I think people are like, well, your website is stupid, easy paleo, which is going to be changing later this year. But like, oh, so I have to eat paleo. Oh, paleo didn't work for me. And I'm like, no, we're going to, you know, what works for your body? And so for some people, quantifying food and getting an idea of what it looks like is the the important first step and having a rough visual of, okay, if I have a a dinner plate, I want to fill half of that with vegetables, period. That's like number one. (laughs) I'm going to put some kind of protein on there. So whatever... Is there a protein of choice, whether it's an animal protein or some kind of legume or whatever people want to do is fine. And then some kind of healthy fat and like starting with a balance and let's do that three times a day. And let's do the basics first before we try to get super fancy and go hardcore into removing a complete macronutrient or go hardcore into trying to tweak our carbs to the exact perfect gram. And so that's really that first step. And eventually people for the most part, we'll transition into more of a, okay, let's like pay attention to my body and see what my body's asking for and kind of know what to do. But sometimes you have to be very explicit at the beginning, right? It's hard to just like wing it when you're not used to listening to yourself. I kind of, the analogy I use is like when, <laughs> before there was digital radio and you had to tune the dial, mm-hmm, right? Yeah, I remember. It's like fuzzy, 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 and then you tune it and it's exactly, and like you lock into that voice and it's loud and clear. And that for a long time, we've been living in the static phase of that. Like we can't hear ourselves. We have been listening to so many other things. There's too much static. 
And so this process of like tuning the dial and really locking into that inner intuition, it takes time, it takes practice. And if we're out of practice, just like anything else, it's going to feel awkward and we're not going to trust it. That's very important, a very important piece of it. But a lot of people don't start there. The first pillar is eat nourishing foods. And we talk about other things like how do we support your gut? Macronutrients matter, but so does the quality of the food. Eating foods that work for your body, very important. Mastering the basics before you get fancy. I like the phrase, know the rules so you can break the rules. Mm -hmm. And I think too many times we're missing the basics. So that's the first one. Well, and I wanted to just touch upon something which I think is so important is that so often we, we've we never really listened to our own bodies and our own intuition. We've always kind of given our health away in a lot of ways. Mm. You know, the advice of doctors or, or experts or whomever it is, never really listening to what it is that we need. Like you said, we get so dialed into nutrient splitting and really trying to figure out what it is that thing that we're missing there when all these other components may be falling to the wayside. Mm. That it may absolutely be sleep or maybe it's stress. That's mm-hmm. literally driving you into the ground. I love that approach of just being able to listen. Although you're right, it does take a lot of practice and a lot of connecting when you've never done it before. I think so many women and men, I mean, again, I can't speak for men, but I know a lot of men actually suffer with this stuff very silently. I think a lot of women have been conditioned to believe that they don't know, they can't know what's right for them. And because of that, we've ended up in this space where we're just like, we're waiting for somebody to tell us what's right for us. And in a lot of cases where we have been through the ringer with this, we've been through decades of this and we are afraid to trust ourselves. We are afraid to mess up again because of what it's going to mean about us as a person. And here we are again, and I keep failing. And right. So this is why mindset is such a key component of this too. If you're listening now and you feel like I just, don't want to go there again. And I don't trust myself. And like, this is not abnormal. What you're experiencing is, is quite common. And because of how we've been deconditioned to listen to ourselves and we have given our power away, that process of getting it back can feel very awkward and very difficult and very challenging. But it's only through the practice and remaining open enough And having that little kernel of trust in yourself or having someone who you can trust as your coach or nutritionist or whoever it is. And like somebody that's not just a guru, somebody who's willing to work with you in a relationship and form that trust factor who can move you forward to like starting to take more of that trust for yourself. Because right now we're living in, you know, this very like control oriented state where it's like, when it comes to fitness and nutrition, especially diet, it's like, I need to control myself because I feel like I don't have control. And when I tighten down and I try to control even more thinking that that's going to bring me freedom, it does the exact opposite. It takes all my freedom away from me. So when I say things like, I can't eat this food, right? I can't eat chocolate. Well, When you say you can't do something on an energetic level and from a language perspective, you've just given away your power to some outside locus of control. Something somewhere, someone somewhere, some authority somewhere, some rule somewhere said I can't do this. And I don't know about you, but when people tell me I can't do things, what is my like normal response as a human being with a brain and a subconscious is like, I want to do that thing. (laughs) You know, you can't eat cookies ever again. And then you're like, all I can think about is the cookies, right? Rather than saying something like, I don't want them. 
right now. I choose not to eat them right now. Like as soon as something as simple as shifting your language around that thing, and this gets into, you know, again, the mindset piece, but shifting your language is so powerful because when you say like, I choose not to, or I do not want, that's a declaration from you versus like, oh, I can't have this thing. When somebody says, I can't have this thing, all of a sudden you're, you've completely given away your power. Instead of saying, I have the power to make this choice right now, this is the choice I want to make for myself. Very different situation, very subtle, but very different. So these things get very woven in together and they're very hard to tease these things out, which is why for a lot of people, just like quantifying their food often leads to not experiencing the results that they want long-term because they haven't addressed these other pieces. I want to just step back a moment. One of the biggest things you had just said is so often everything has been hardwired for us to kind of relinquish that power and how we get that back. And that's often when I'm talking with women myself, it's they feel they either they've been told that they're crazy for feeling however they're feeling, like they're Uh discredited in whatever they're feeling, but they also have a lot of shame around so much of what's going on with them. And so I want to dive into the piece of the core four that I think is so important, which is the mindset. Uh I know that feeling very well of being told there's nothing wrong. Because for me, I believe that that is a huge part of my entire journey is that because I was struggling so much with pain, from my menstrual cycle from the time I was 11 and I went to a doctor. My mom brought me for my, this is going to get like, like really real, real fast here. My mom brought me for my first gynecological visit at age 11 because they were really concerned at how sick I was getting and endometriosis runs in my family. And I went to the doctor that day. And at the age of 11, I had a pelvic exam, which hello, was not ready for that. But the doctor was like, you're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. And over the years, it was always the same thing. You're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. So then you stop listening to yourself. And I I get that in my heart of hearts, my core. I understand what that feels like to go, well, I'm just going to stop listening to myself because everybody else says I'm fine. And so coming back from that and then, you know, at age 33, getting a diagnosis was just like, huh. 22 years later. I told you guys so. The feeling that like I knew something was wrong and you know, that was a very huge moment for me. And so I get it. Like, I know what that feels like. If you've just been told like, you're fine, there's nothing wrong with you. It's all in your head, all of this stuff. It's really difficult to come back to that place of like, starting to listen to yourself again and trusting yourself. So that's why for me, mindset became such a big piece of this. And it is one of the hardest parts to tackle. And I kind of think about this, like, imagine a set of concentric circles. So there's like a circle in a circle in a circle. And for me, like the physical stuff is the outer layer. It's the biggest circle. And then comes kind of like the mental, emotional, and then kind of like the spiritual soul stuff. And for a lot of people working on the soul stuff, the center, the stuff that's the juicy, squishy core of who you are, sometimes you need to start drilling in from the outside and going, well, okay, physically, how can I support myself? Getting movement, getting my sleep feeding myself well, nourishing my body. Sometimes dealing with that stuff first allows us the access point to drill down into these deeper layers of who we are, right? Our emotions, how we see the world, our our mental framework, and that kind of gets to the soul stuff. And so I like to use that analogy for people or that visual because I'm like, sometimes we're not ready to start at the squishy core and that's okay. 
but it's still there. <laughs> and so like, how can we access that? And so for me, mindset became an important part of this program because again, time after time after time, people were like, well, I'm supposedly eating all the right things and exercising all the right ways, but I'm not making progress or I keep self-sabotaging or I'm still not happy. And so the mindset and other related things like habits and goal setting and how we see the world and our self-awareness, all of this stuff became a very important kind of almost like an, an umbrella under which the other things are, are going on. And so for a lot of my clients, self-compassion is a huge missing component for them. And this idea of I have to be hard on myself. And again, like this has been a learned thing, whether it's how we grew up or the teachers we had or whatever it is, but we've been told like the only way to make progress is to be really, really damn hard on yourself. And we're so hard on ourselves and yet we're so kind and accepting in a lot of cases to other people and forgiving and you're like, oh, it's okay. You know, you're going through a tough time right now. It's all right. But when it comes to us and ourselves, we're so often the harshest critic and the harshest, we have the harshest expectations. And where does that come from? And why do we have such a lack of self-compassion? And if we did have self-compassion and we were kind to ourselves, I think the belief is that we wouldn't make progress, that we'd be lazy, we'd give up, we'd be soft. But strength isn't just hardness. All of these things exist in a dichotomy, right? And this is kind of like gets a little woo, but hey, that's I'm getting more woo as I get older, uh, which is funny because I have a, a background in training in, in a biological science. So like, I totally get the science part. But, you know, I think when we believe we're not going to make progress unless we're hard on ourselves, I, again, like how do we know something is light? It's only because we know the opposite. We know there is dark. So then we know light. We know that there is hardness, but there is softness. We exist as dichotomies. It's just as the way it is. And too often we're living in that hard edge, right? We're like, oh, I need to be mean to myself. That's the only way I'm going to stay motivated. BS. That is such BS. It does not work. And yet here we are and we, can't, we continue to hook into it because it's all we've ever known. And learning to trust in this other way and practice it can be like so scary. You don't even want to go there because you're like, well, what's my inner dialogue? What's my story? I've always failed. I'm not, you know, I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough to do this. And I will say like therapy is a great thing. And if you need therapy and you need to work with a professional, there's nothing wrong with that. There is zero shame in taking that approach, none. And if you want to start working on it on your own, I mean, it can be very confronting to realize like, hey, my story is the victim story. And how do I start to take that back into my own hands and, and realize my own responsibility in this and my own power and the implications of that. And so th this is a very, I mean, people spend their whole lives working on this and I don't think you can ever perfect it or master it. But if you continue to feel like you struggle, there could very well be a significant mindset component that you haven't addressed. And so for, for me personally, I'll give you an example my childhood was all about perfectionism, people-pleasing and perfectionism, and realizing that because of the work of people like Brene Brown and learning and reading and going through like being in the suck and learning about these things and confronting these things about yourself, I was like, okay, 
so my ins- my like incessant drive to be perfect comes not from a place of feeling good about myself, but from a, a place of fear and being scared and like, wow, that's a big thing. Like that's huge. And wanting to be in control all the time. Where does that come from? Again, comes from a place of being very afraid and not trusting. And so like this stuff gets very deep (laughs) very quickly, but on the very surface level, you know, I, I talk to people who, for example, have either habits that aren't serving them or, you know, they're sort of played with negative self-talk and it becomes such an automatic thing. Habits are automatic. We don't even think about them. The first step for some of my clients is just being aware of your inner dialogue, just being aware, not judging, not like, oh, here we go again with this negative self-talk. Why do I keep doing this? Why can't I be strong enough? No, it's just like being the outside observer, having that, I almost think of it like an out-of-body experience where you're like, oh, that's an interesting thought. You know, some I was like scrolling through social media and I saw a picture of somebody who was half naked and they like, oh, they're showing themselves off. And then I start to feel bad about myself and go, oh, huh, that's an interesting thought. I wonder where that came from. And just sort of adopting that attitude of curiosity rather than judgment. And I think that's a very fine line to walk. But for a lot of my clients, that ends up being a very important first step is catching it. Mm-hmm. Self-awareness. Yeah. Can I can I even be aware of my thoughts and my patterns with this thing? And just stopping to observe it and be aware of it is like the first step. <laughs> isn't like, I'm going to fix this. And like, I'm never going to have a negative thought again. Cause you know what? You can't stop your thoughts. Like you're not going to be able to stop having negative thoughts for the rest of your life. It's just going to happen. But eventually after the awareness piece is the sort of like detachment almost from the thinking, the thought of like the neg I have the negative thought. Does that mean I chase it down the rabbit hole? We've all been there, right? I call it the brain drain where you have this negative thought about yourself and it swirls, <laughs> you know, think about pulling the plug out of a bathtub that's full of water and it swirls and swirls and swirls mm-hmm. and it just like sucks you down. And you realize three hours later that you're on the couch crying and you're like, you just like, you almost snap out of it and you're like, what just happened? Because it's so easy to chase that stuff down that rabbit hole, down that brain drain just having like a a moment where you're like, whoa, okay. I just had this thought, like, do I want to hook into it? Is this necessary? Is this true? Is this helpful? Or am I going to just let it kind of like roll off my back? And I'm not telling people that they have to stop feeling their feelings because that's the worst thing. And feeling your feelings is certainly important. But again, it's like the level of hooked in we are. And when we really hook in and we commit to holding on to that and we get taken along for that ride, realizing that we can develop other ways of dealing with that stuff. So, uh, you know, the mindset thing can go a million miles in that direction. But I feel like for a lot of people starting to unpack that stuff becomes a natural part of that evolution of that journey of, you know, the wellness journey, the, the health and healing journey, whatever it is that you're on is getting to a point where sometimes you've done really the work in the other areas And the mindset piece is like the last piece that you're ready for. And that's okay. Everybody comes at it from their own timeline, their own journey. And that's okay. 
But at some point for most people, they end up realizing that they've got to, they've got to deal with some of that stuff. I absolutely agree. I mean, I find that we, that's where we get stuck and you, you connected on so many levels. I'm sure there's a lot of, you guys are listening. There's just so many pieces in that. And you, like you said, it's always going to be a part of that journey. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, even people that you think have everything figured out, <laughs> we're as part of the human condition, we're all dealing with things like this. I mean, we're, you're not alone. And I think, yes, there are some people who are very private and they don't want to share this stuff out loud, but I have found the exact opposite to be true in my life that when I became willing to share that, that then gave other people comfort and normalization for what they go through and camaraderie and community and kinship and connection and all of the things that we're like so missing in this world because we don't want our dirty laundry to be showing. And I think there's a right time and place for things. And I'm not saying that, you know, as somebody with a social media, I'm just going to go and dump a bunch of stuff that I haven't processed on my community because I don't think that's necessarily the right tactic either. But there is something to be said for sharing the the dark stuff, sharing the uncomfortable stuff, sharing the challenges, because that then in turn makes people feel like I'm not alone in this and I have support and I can do this. And I think that's a really important part that we're oftentimes missing is like this idea that we're just going to present the best of us and we don't want anybody to see the crap. <laughs> and it's like, it's all there. We're just hiding it and trying to make make believe that everything is okay and we're perfect and like that's that's how we roll. But um, that more gets done in terms of supporting each other and I would say healing really when we're we're willing in our own time and in our own way and when it's right to talk about these things with each other and not keep it silent. Well, I just want to say I think you do a marvelous job at, at really helping to cultivate those conversations. If anyone wants to dive a little bit deeper and really see what Steph's doing, I I, I personally love your post on Insta. I think you're right. You really you. give us women in particular, and I, I only serve women, I'm really clear on that, but that we're able to kind of recognize that, okay, it's okay if I'm feeling this way, if it's okay, I'm working through these things. And that it's a part of that mm-hmm. healing journey, whatever that healing journey is looking like that they're going through. A hundred percent. I've never had the experience where I've shared something that I sort of worked through and had somebody say like, oh, how could you share this? Like, this was so unhelpful. <laughs> you know, it's always like, I get the direct messages that are like, thank you for sharing this and making me feel like it's okay for me to be going through this too. And I'm not alone. And it can feel scary because I have to remember sometimes that I'm going to write something and potentially hundreds of thousands of people might see it. And there are parts of my life that are still pr- very private. I do sh- try to share what's relevant at the time and where there's a teachable nugget and stuff like that. But I've only ever had positive responses from sharing that stuff and opening a dialogue or whatever it is. And I think the more we try to present ourselves as like, we're, we're all good. It's just everybody else that's, you know, going through a challenging time in some way that actually makes us less relatable to people. And I think less able to help with whatever we want to do. And this is speaking, you know, sort of as a, an entrepreneur business owner, but I, you know, I think if you're feeling like the people that you follow seem too perfect to be true, <laughs> it's probably not what's really going on with them. 
Agreed, 100%. Well, I love this. Oh my goodness. So I have one more question for you, my dear, because I know we, we got into yeah. so many pieces of this and I feel like we could, I really could just keep on asking you so many more questions. I do want to ask you this one and it's, it's a pretty simple one. And just, you know, I know you are such an inspiration to women really going through this journey and, and being able to really kind of shed light on how we can move through the process. But what I want to know, what is, what is the one thing, a, a daily habit or a, a solution, like a natural solution? that you do every day that really helps to move you forward and just has you feeling incredible? This is tough because I, over the years, have gotten a little bit looser with my, I still have a very sort of scheduled, I, I like consistency. I'll say that I like routine. And over the years, I've practiced letting go of that a little bit and sort of this idea of like perfectionism and having to do things a certain way. But I would say there's a couple things that make it into my routine fairly often, not every day, but um, one is alternate nostril breathing, which I think is, I'm going to probably pronounce that wrong, Nadi Shudna Mm -hmm. in sort of yogic tradition, which is this alternate nostril breathing. And, you know, I've done so many different types of diaphragmatic breathing and box breathing and so many different breathing techniques. But for some reason, this is the one that is the most helpful and it resonates the most with me. I don't know why, but I would encourage people to look that up. And sometimes I just do that as I'm lying in bed at night or throughout the day, if I need a bit of a break, I think for me, the, and it sounds so weird, but the, you know, you touch your face in it. And I think that that just helps to center me so much more than other types of breathing. So I would say that and some kind of physical practice. And again, exercise has been such a part of my journey. I mean, I've been competing in sports since I was eight. And so, and I told you guys earlier how I sort of got into kind of a not so great relationship with exercise, but for me, moving my body in some way every day in a way that honors my body and how I'm feeling today and being able to let go of outcomes and expectations and doing it for the love of it and because it makes me feel good is so important. So sometimes that's just sitting in a deep squat while I'm brushing my teeth, you know, or um, sometimes it is going into lift weights. Sometimes it is going to Brazilian jujitsu and rolling around on the floor and getting really sweaty. And I, you know, I think just for me, that expression, the physical expression that comes with movement is a really, really integral part of my overall well-being. And so doing something, even if it's going for a walk or it's going outside and gardening or just something to stay connected to my body, but in a way that honors it instead of where I came from, which was I've got to get on this treadmill and burn this many calories, or I've got to get on my bike and um, spend like 20 minutes in zone four heart rate and sort of letting go of those metrics and just moving for the love of moving. So I, I would say those are two things that I do pretty much every day. I love it. Well, motion is life. And I, I, I agree. Mm. I love moving every single day to some yeah. degree. It can get in where you fit in, right? Whatever feels yeah. good. Okay. For sure. You have a gift, which I think is so perfect for what we were talking about today. Could you tell us a little bit about this amazing gift that you have? And I have it too. I can share it as well. <laughs> <sighs> I'm going to have to be annoying right now and say, I don't remember what I told you. I was you. No worries. So I have. So what I've got is um, I have the five day healthy habit challenge. Oh yeah. Okay. The fierce love challenge, which sounds so amazing. <laughs> right. So again, I think on this journey, there's the tendency to just grab information, to be an information collector. But we all know that 
action is where we see change. And so practicing something small every day that moves you forward is so important. And so the five-day fierce love challenge, these are five healthy habits that you can simply, that you don't need like any special equipment. There's, it's not crazy, but it's five simple things that you can incorporate throughout your week to add some kind of health back to your routine. And so I have that as a, a download and it comes with a journal and I think they're fun. So if people are like, I just need a bit of a kickstart, I need a little bit of kick in the pants to, you know, I keep overthinking this, then I really do believe that that's a very helpful resource to just get started. And, you know, we don't want to set the expectations too high, but sometimes you need a place to, to jump off from. So that's what that is. Well, thank you. Oh my goodness. And I absolutely agree. Action is everything. And we can just be digestion junkies. We know we are just constantly, Mm. but it's, you know, you got to put that into action. So I love that this is built for that purpose. Absolutely. Well, it will be in the show notes. So grab it. And I mean, what's five days, right? That little kick in the pants is so often what we need. For sure. Just a little bit of like, shake things up a little bit. Like you said, five days. That's why I didn't make it 30 days. I just want to commit to just the work week if you can. And these are things that you can do to just feel better, break the friction, start getting things moving in the right direction and ultimately feeling better. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Steph, for stopping by. It was, oh my gosh, it was such a pleasure. I enjoyed this interview so much. I We usually keep these interviews around 30 minutes, but I was like, I can't, I can't oh. do it. I have to just listen. I'm so bro. sorry. I, I, I could have easily said something, but I was, I just, everything that you brought to the table today, I felt was so, so necessary. And just, I want to just thank you so much for coming in and sharing your light and sharing your amazing journey with us. Thank you so much for having me and for um, sitting down. And I just love it. Thank you. Bye, honey. See you soon. Wow. How are you feeling after that incredible interview? Steph is truly on a mission to change the way we think about our health, our weight, and our bodies. Now, if you are ready to start and take this incredible five-day fierce love challenge that Steph has created especially for you, head on over to the show notes at drmarisa.com, episode 27, and download this incredible five-day healthy habit challenge. You are not going to want to regret it, and I promise you are going to look at your health through a different view after you do this incredible challenge with Steph Gaudreau. Again, I want to just say thank you so much for stopping by and listening in to the Essentially You podcast. Our next episode is all about discovering underlying factors behind imperfect skin with my go-to skin specialist, Dr. Trevor Cates, also known as a spa doctor. Dr. Cates has cued in on how to achieve younger, smoother skin with her five skin type method. So you're not going to want to miss our next incredible interview with Dr. Trevor Cates. Now, as I mentioned before, earlier in the show, my goal is to spread the word about the Essentially You podcast. And the best way to get the word out is through you. So I would love to personally hear about what you are wanting more on this podcast. So just take a moment, rate and review the Essentially You podcast on iTunes. That way I can continue to serve you and other amazing women who are ready to become healers in their own home. Well, until then, I hope that you have a wonderful week. Bye.